Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Amanda. And this is Lesson Learned. This is a podcast about the daily life of a teacher. So we're going to start with a segment called Book Club, where we talk about books that we have read recently uh, that we really enjoy. We each read aloud daily to our classes. I'm a third grade teacher. I'm a preschool special ed teacher. So I read a lot of different kinds of books aloud to my students, and we... They also read to me a lot. Um, the book I'm going to talk about today it happens to be a chapter book. It's a graphic novel, actually, called Harriet the Invincible by Ursula Vernon. And this book is amazing because, one, it's a fractured fairy tale, which is really fun. So there's a lot of like elements to fairy tales. There's dragons, there's knights, there's princesses, there's spells, there's fairies, there's witches, which are all really fun things to talk about and really good to just be like, hey, this is a fantasy genre. This is fiction. Um, but it's also a fractured fairy tale, so it kind of switches something up. So Harriet, the main character, is a princess, and she's a hamster. The illustrations are adorable. And she gets cursed when she's born. When she's 12 years old, she's going to prick her finger on a hamster wheel. Um, and when she does that, she's going to be, she falls into a deep sleep. And, um, you know, like Cinderella, Snow White. Sleeping Beauty, I'm pretty sure. Exactly, exactly. So exactly that idea but when she finds out about it when she's like nine she's excited because she's like i'm invincible this curse has to happen it's her magic spell so i can do anything i can jump out of buildings i can jump out of towers i can fight dragons and nothing can hurt me because she's like i have to prick my finger when i'm 12 years old so she kind of like outsmarts it and she's not a normal princess she's like very brave or not a normal fairy tale princess she's very brave she does whatever she wants. She wants to fight dragons. She does not want to be a proper lady like her mother wants her to be. And it's just really cool because they'll do things like call her out. They'll be like, um, that's not very princessly of you. She's like, I'm a princess, so if I do it, it's princessly. So that kind of just like goes along, and she has to break the curse. And it's just a really fun book, and there's really funny illustrations because it's a graphic novel, which I would just read a page, show the pictures. So even though there were pictures in it in a chapter book, it totally worked. And my kids were like really into the story. They really enjoyed Harriet and her personality and all the like crazy fairy tale characters that she ran into. So it was a really good book to read. That sounds very cute. I want to read it now. It is really good. And there's a sequel and it has kind of the same kind of themes that go with it. Just very good fairy tale themes. And fairy tales is one of the genres that I teach as a third grade teacher. So it's kind of important that they like know what to recognize. And this is just very clear just classic fairy tale things, but they've just twisted it a bit. I like also that it, it's like with fairy tales, you know what is going to happen. It's really, really predictable and um, everything, you know, there's usually like a foretelling, like this is going to happen to you. And I like that when, you know, the idea that, oh, if you have an idea about your future, then you can just do whatever Kind of control it's it. Like, yeah, well, that's, that's a really interesting And approach. this book is really funny for like an adult to read it too because... They call each other out. So, like, the evil, wicked fairy is kind of like, 
huh, you're not groveling a lot. You're not really like a lot of other princesses. So, like, they kind of call each other out because they know what the normal, like, routine is in a fairy tale. So when something goes against it, they kind of call it out, but it's in a very, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge way of, like, the reader knows, you know, that what a typical fairy tale is, and they're going against that, and the characters themselves are kind of like, huh, interesting. Um, so that that's just like a fun element to the that story. That's very cute. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, the book that I brought this week is Bear Snores On by Karma Wilson. Ooh, I don't know this one. Bear Snores On is, is one of my favorites. There's also a lot of different books in the same like field. There's like Bear Stays Up for Christmas, and I don't know. There's some other ones. But um, it's a really simple story. Bear is sleeping in a cave. It all rhymes. It's very cute. Love so rhyming books. And, you know, he's hibernating in the winter, and all these animals come into his cave. And they're animals that a lot of our kids don't know the names of yet, so it's also good vocabulary. So there's a hare. So we know there's mm. different names for something like a rabbit. There's a badger. Um, there's, a, like, a raven and a wren. There's a gopher. There's a mole. So all these different animals come into the bear's cave. Yeah, I feel like those are all very unusual animals yeah. for a preschooler to know. That's and the good. pictures are also beautiful. So they come into the cave. The bear's sleeping, and they, like, s- they start a fire, and as more of them come in, they start – you know, making food, they pop popcorn and they brew tea and they start making a stew and like, you know, all the animals come in and they're like, oh, it's warm in here. Can, you know, you guys want to share? And then, you know, through all this time, they're basically having a big party and Bear is still sleeping. And then uh, a piece of like pepper flake flies into his nose and he sneezes and he wakes up and first he's super mad. He's like, why are you all in my lair? I'd feel the same way. Yeah, honestly. so he's, he's really angry and then on the next page, like his face totally transforms and he's really sad and he starts crying. He's like, I woke up and you were all having this party and I, you were having all this fun and I, I had none. And I was <laughs> like, he missed all the party oh, and he, he was just disappointed. Yeah. So he had FOMO exactly. And it's so cute because, you know, so he goes from super mad to really sad. And then, um, this little mouse comes up and says, you know, um, we can pop more corn, we can brew more tea, and, you know, give oh, some... they wanted to include him. Yeah, and so they're yeah. like, no, sorry, Bear, we didn't mean to, you know, not include you. And so, you know, there's so many nice little lessons in there, and then Bear is just instantly happy. And my, the point I, I like to make in it is just showing them the pictures, of, you know, how is he feeling right now, and explaining to them that sometimes when you're angry, it's really just that you're feeling sad or disappointed or left right. out. So some people experience anger or, you know, experience those feelings by crying and some people experience them by yelling. Yeah, and I've used from um, Home, which is a, like a little kid's movie, maybe yeah. DreamWorks. Uh, he's sad mad or someone's really mad, but it's actually because they're sad. And that's just like how they're expressing that emotion at the time. So kind of getting kids to understand sad mad and like yeah. how to deal with it is really important because they're just like, why is that person so angry? And it's like, well... It might be more complicated than that. Yeah, all the animals were scared of him when he came at them and was growling and snarling and everything. And then the one little mouse, who's the smallest of all, of course, was like, no, it's here. It's always the mouse. We can pop more corn. We can brew more tea. It just, it warms my heart. It's such a nice story. And they made him feel better. Yeah. That is a good, that's really good for preschoolers. Yeah. Plus it teaches, you know, winter, hibernation, animals. Yeah. Great vocabulary words in there. Yeah, very good. Well, just fabulous. Well, those are our, our books for this week. That, that was book club. Our main topic for this week is we wanted to talk about the many hats of being a teacher. So I think when people picture a teacher, they think of them, you know, teaching, being an educator, dealing with the content. So 
uh, a lot of pictures or like images of teachers are there's them like standing in front of a chalkboard with two plus two on the board, which is an important part of being a teacher. Mm-hmm. The content that's important, but that is not the only thing that teachers on a daily basis deal with. There's many different jobs. So some of the hats that we wear, um, I listed a few. One, I am a mom to my kids. And I don't want to be, but because they're three and four, and it's the first time that they're away from their parents, I end up filling a lot of those, you know, one, being the encourager, like, you can do it. Um, Two, having to discipline them or having to, you know, explain what is expected. Um, You also have to disappoint them sometimes, which is part of being a parent, I guess, you know, just saying, um, you know, you can't do that right now, or I can't help you right now. Um, And, you know, and all the other stuff, like taking them to the bathroom. And helping them put their coats on. Oh, yeah. That's definitely some some mom roles. I feel like I have a little less of that because I deal with a lot of older children, yeah. you know, eight and nine. But I have been called mom many times. It doesn't go away. It do- Yeah, it really just called mom and they, they get that look on their face like, I just did that. Like, ugh. And I'm kind of like, it's fine. I get it. I know why. Like, you're with me uh, many hours a day and I'm the only adult in the room. It's all good. Kind of making them easing their tension. Um. Another job that I have, another hat that I wear, that I was never expecting when I was learning things, was I am constantly a detective. I would not say every day that this happens, but it's very constant that I have to resolve something where I don't have all the facts that I need to properly deal with the situation. Or an unreliable narrator. Very unreliable narrators. Or very one-sided narrators. So, like, I'll get a kid come in, Tell me that something happened on the bus with a kid. And I'll say, what's the kid's name? And they say, I don't know. So I go, what bus do you ride? They tell me the bus number. So I have a little bit of information. What grade are they in? They might know the grade. I got a little bit more information. Um, So I'm kind of going through it. Then one other kid will overhear the conversation. They'll come in and they'll go, the sister is this person. And they're in this person's class. They're in Miss Smith's class. So I'm like, okay. I can try to talk to Miss Smith, get this kid in here so I can figure out who their brother is so I can resolve this issue that happened on the bus that I don't even ride and a kid that I've never met before, which was just really shocking to me because this happens kind of frequently or something will get taken from someone's cubby. And I have to say, you know, you can't take things that aren't yours, kind of blanket statement to the whole class. But then if it keeps happening, I got to like, watch them or see if I can find it or find a bag of chips that's not theirs and it's like something I always tell them like this was not in my job description kids I don't always have to figure out what's going on but it is kind of a common theme because I do want to help them problem solve but again not very reliable narrators and they don't always have all the necessary parts to the story that are needed they're also very used to adults solving their problems oh yeah And, and some of the time it's like We'll put it on hold, and if it's not something I need to be a detective for, I won't be a detective. I am also very much a detective because I'm working with kids with low speech and communication skills. So when they want something, a lot of times they'll point, or they will gesture, or they'll just cry, mm-hmm. or they'll scream, and I have to figure out, okay, you know, kind of like an, a baby, are you hungry? You had to go potty? <laughs> what? What's going on? on? And, you know, and sometimes these are kids who also have more, you know, they have emotions that are just as complicated as other kids their age. 
but they're not able to express it. So a lot of my detective work is, try, you know, I look around, oh, he had that bus before and now she has it, so maybe it has to do with the bus. And you can do a little bit of guesswork there. In the end, I just have to give the kids the words or some way to, to solve the problem on their yeah, own. You have to teach them to express themselves so you don't have to be a detective. Yeah, and then the good thing is that once now, at this point in the year, a lot of my kids have those words and are fixing their own problems, which is just way better, or at least telling me what's wrong. Um, so another one of my jobs is I am a life coach and an inspirational speaker. Ooh, and so a good one. Yeah. So I'm not, a, you know, my, my job is not just teaching them their ABCs and one, two, threes. I have to teach them how to be a decent, good person and how to, you know, have responsibility for their actions and understand each other's feelings and like really complicated stuff that most adults still need a lot of, you know, education in. And so, you know, the books I choose are always, they always have an emotional component and they, you know, I, I end up having to take a really complicated subject like being, you know, feeling angry and sad at the same time and then making it so simple that a three-year-old can understand and apply it. And I think that that's a lot of what an inspirational speaker or life coach does. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. I wouldn't have even thought of this hat, but I feel like having passion in teaching and actually being emotional about the subject matter is really important because if you don't feel that way and you aren't speaking with passion, they're not going to be as interested in the subject matter. And I have a lot of books where, yes, emotions come into it for sure, but a lot of it is like how to treat people with equality. Like yeah. that's a huge theme in a lot of the books I read is, hey, this person was really different. They overcame adversity and, you know, did this really powerful thing. We were reading biographies this last week, so that kind of stands out where it's like, this person was put down because of the way they acted and because it was a different time. There was a lot of also women where it was like, at this time, women couldn't vote. And my kids would be really surprised in that. I'm like, yeah, have an emotion about that. That's not cool that it was only 100 years ago that that happened. So I feel like inspiring them that they can do and be anything they want is really essential as a teacher. Um, another hat that I wear is um, a mechanic, which might seem wild that that is what it is, but I, and I'm sure you deal with this too, I deal with the copier. Hmm. This is a common thing for a lot of workplaces that the copier is always breaking and you have to take it apart little piece by piece when you only have about 40 minutes to plan and print everything mm -hmm. that you need during your planning time and you're spending your time taking this apart meticulously and finding the paper and this guy comes in once a week and fixes it and then it just gets broken again. Another thing that I find that I've had to be a mechanic with is a pencil sharpener. Any of my teacher ladies and gentlemen out there will know this frustration. They break constantly. They never work appropriately. I've taken many apart myself and they still will just break all the time. I finally got one that was like given to me by one of my students that's worked the best, but it has just been a wild ride with pencil sharpeners. And you know, I remember as a kid thinking, if I stick the eraser in, will it sharpen like a pencil tip? <laughs> and it does not. No, it, it just breaks the, just the breaks pencil it. sharpener that's forever. Even, I feel like just like the constant use. So yeah. like taking stuff apart is something I was not expecting. And I am not a mechanical person. So this is something I am truly not a master in. But yeah, just a little little part of my day though. 
Um, another, so I am a hostage negotiator. Mm, good point. And usually it's with toys, but sometimes it's also with my time. So I have a little one who she wants to bring, she always wants to have something in her hand when she goes somewhere. And usually it's one of the toys from the classroom and I'm like, okay, we're gonna put down the bear and then we're gonna go to the cafeteria. Put the bear and down and like, walk away. No, 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 <laughs> you have to put, put, just put it down. We will have food, it will be good, it will be all, the bear's gonna be, bear's just gonna take a nap while we're gone. And bear's gonna get messed up if you bring him to the cafeteria. Yeah, so we've had to jump through a lot of hoops with her in order to either get her to let go of something or to move on. But we've also had to, you know, you pick your battles. And so we've given in to certain things. So our Pete the Cat stuffed animal is her favorite. And she had to, she was playing with Pete and it was time to go potty. So, which, go to the bathroom, excuse me. So it's time to go to the bathroom. And she said no. I said, okay, just bring Pete. Pete has to go potty too. So she brings Pete into the bathroom holding her she's still in diapers so she has to like you know change her diaper but you know we say oh you're sitting on the potty and she says yeah Pete's Pete's sitting on the potty too and she puts you know pretends that Pete's sitting on the potty and then it's like okay then it's time for her to uh use a wipe and she tells Pete I'm sorry Pete it's cold which is what <laughs> we would tell her just like as a warning oh, before wiping right so That's she's so like sweet. i'm so sorry pete it's going to be cold <laughs> and then after that you know so she takes pete's little hand to and has him flush the toilet and then she takes pete's hands and washes his hands at the sink with soap well, hey, it shows that she's learning something she knows too. exactly so that was my that was how i negotiated through going to the bathroom yeah negotiating is definitely pretty common on a day-to-day -day basis because you do have to pick your battles because when a kid also says no to you it's like you get stuck in the situation where it's like well I didn't even care about that that much I just wanted you to do something that wasn't hard and now you're like pushing back it's like a power struggle yeah and I hate getting stuck in those power struggles um but it just happens sometimes and you're like well now we gotta now we gotta do this now we mm -hmm. gotta negotiate now I gotta be this like deal with this situation that is not even a big deal to me but you try to pick your battles. You try to realize what's going to happen. I think with some experience, too, foresight comes in and you go, hmm, I can see where this is going to go. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let it go. Just, like, back off. And I think that's an important important thing to learn as a teacher. Um, another thing, another role I play is being a voice actor. And not all teachers do this, but when I read aloud, I use voices for all of the characters, which gets easier if I've read the book more than once. But sometimes I'm really flying on the seat of my pants where I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick a voice for this character and I got to stick with it. And I really try to, I try to be consistent in like chapter books, It's easier in picture books because then it's like over, I'll pick a new voice. And I definitely have ones that I use a lot. Like there's the old man voice where it's just talking slow and that's not, that's not it. That's not it. Um, but there, there's the old man voice. There's the old lady voice. I got a witch voice where it's like, Oh, like oh, now I can't think of anything. I'm going to cut this part <laughs> out. I'm not going to try to, not going to try to use the voices, but I want to use a bunch of different voices to inspire the kids to enjoy the story. And I will say when it happens and I look up, the kids are enjoying the voices. Like they truly like it. And I definitely have teacher friends where they're like, I don't, I, I don't got voices. Like that's just not part of how I read aloud. And I'm sure the kids are very engaged too, but I find that it just makes it more exciting for me to read and I enjoy it more. And if I'm enjoying it more, I think they enjoy it more. So using those voices are, is a really important part of my day when I'm reading aloud. My most annoying job at work is that I have to be a, dan a data, anal data analyst. Mm -hmm. 
is that I have to be a data analyst, um, which is part of being a special education teacher. All teachers have to do it to some degree. With special education, I have to track every one of my kids' goals and their progress, and I have to do it using hard data. So for instance, if I wanna see how much a kid is paying attention to a lesson, I would you know, sit in the back with a timer, and every time that they are paying attention, I'll start the timer, and every time that they stop paying attention, I, I stop it. This is very tedious. Yes, work. it's really tedious, and so in a 10-minute lesson, I can determine that the student is paying attention, at least visually looking at the teacher for about one and a half minutes per 10 minute block. So then, you know, it's something like, you know, 10, 10 to 12% of the time. And that's all very important because, you know, as we add interventions, hopefully that will get better and improve. And if it's not improving, then we know that we have to change a tactic. Well, and in special education, it's required by law that you collect data mm -hmm. and keep it in a way that can be used in meetings and to write uh, goals and objectives. Yeah. So you can get in trouble for not doing these things. Yeah, you can get in serious trouble and you can get sued, which is a huge problem. I have never had to go through litigation, but I've talked to many, especially the compliance coordinators, which is basically my boss. Um, they have to deal with that a lot. You yeah, know? and school systems know how important. I, I don't have any kids with IEPs in my class, which is what a child with special needs usually has. Uh, I have kids with 504s though which is a behavior plan, which still has goals, and I have to record mm -hmm. data. And we had a meeting in my school at the beginning of the year saying, like, here's how you can do it. Luckily, my kids, they have 504s, and the kids with 504s are, have excellent behavior. So at the beginning of the year, I was really meticulous recording the data, and then I kind of just wrote, like, every time I do this, I will allow them to like sit, you know, if we're taking a test, I let them sit at the desk in front of the room. Yeah. And instead of writing it down every time, I'm like, okay, this is just something I do every time. And I try to be as consistent, especially with those two students yeah. as possible. Well, with, and with 504s, it's not necessarily, it's not always behavior. It can be like a kid with ADHD who, it doesn't impact their education as much as it would, you yeah. know, for another kid, but they would need some kind of accommodation. So it might be just time after testing. It might be noise-canceling headphones when they take a test. Yeah, and just one, of, any... one of the things was like, if he reaches frustration, let him take a break. But yeah. that's something that I just do naturally. If a kid is frustrated, I'm not going to be like, finish this work and like freak out at them. I'm going to be like, okay, yo, take a five-minute break, right? chill, and get back to it whenever you want. Because a lot of times, finishing work when they're working independently is more either for me to use as what they have learned, which is helpful if they finish mm -hmm. it. But if they don't finish it, I was like, okay, I'll use what they have. So being a little bit more flexible with these kids, but also being consistent when you need to collect that data is like super important. Yeah, and data can be really irritating for teachers because it seems that every year there's more and more data that they have to collect and keep on top of. This is something that I've heard from a lot of teachers and you know, I'm kind of used to it and it hasn't impacted me as much because I don't have to work with this specific curriculum and I don't have to deal with standardized testing. Yeah, we but have we have specialists in both reading and math that just deal with the data. Yeah. That say, you know, hey, this this test tells us that this is what needs to be taught, which is good good information to have and honestly, I don't have to collect it because we take our tests on the computer, so it kind of makes it at least more straightforward for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I, in my opinion, the best amount, the right amount of data is, you know, you can look at it and it will inform you on how to take action. Right. That Whether it's, you know, increasing what you're doing, 
um, phasing something out because it's already working or whatever. But oftentimes it's more than that. And we'll talk about that on another day. Yeah. No, uh, you, yeah. Can, you can talk a lot about uh, data analysis, a really important part. Um, the last one I have is a tech support. I am not the most tech savvy person. Do not get me wrong. I can send an email. I can attach all the things. I can Google something and solve a problem. I'm okay, you know, kind of, kind of in the middle. I would say my I've had friends that would tell me otherwise that I'm not very good, mm-hmm. but you know, just one way or another. Um, but I have a bunch of eight and nine year olds in my classroom, and we have uh, we are uh, lucky enough to have one to one Chromebook ratio for the third graders at our school. So we get to use the computers daily. I mean, I don't use them all day. I probably use them, you know, in an eight hour a day for 30 minutes in the day that the kids get to use them on kind of average basis. But there's just a lot of problems that they come up with. Simple things like they can't type their email. You know, Mm. and I look at it and I'm like, you're one thing off. You're really close. And I'm trying to support them to be as independent as possible. So you're really close. But if you get your email one off, it's not going to work. Same with passwords. But then they'll also do wild things where they'll come up to me and somehow everything is flipped backwards in a different way on the Chromebook. And I'm like, I have no idea how you did this. Yeah, or, or completely zoomed in. Yeah, or they'll like the mouse isn't working. And I'm like, what did you do? And they kind of look at me with this baffled look on their face of like, I couldn't even begin to tell you what I did. Because sometimes they literally are just like pressing buttons just to press buttons. But sometimes they just have pressed something. They don't know what they did. A lot of times I can fix it for them. And a lot of times it's fine. But having to deal with these like little tech issues that only an eight-year-old would do and not be able to communicate with me what or how they were doing it just makes it a little tricky. And then also you have things like Promethean boards, yeah. which are like our smart boards. And if those aren't working, I mean, I have actual tech support that I can call, but if I'm calling them, I have to wait for them to come. So I try to be a problem solver, messing with cords, again, things I can deal with, but not part of the job descript- description when you are a teacher. Exactly. And so many teachers, you know, and I hear from a lot of, teachers of, of an older generation who will ask me, can you help me with my, my printer? And my only expertise is that I'm 30. Yeah, right. And, I, and I'm like, okay, sure. But there's a lot of teachers who, who didn't grow up with computers in the same way that we did, and, and they definitely do not consider this a part of their job well, description, and, they, and, and suddenly are, it is. They're pushing yeah. it. It's, uh, there's, there's standards for technology, and in my county, we don't have a technology class for the younger kids. So all of that responsibility goes to the teachers. Yeah. And some teachers are good about it. They just, it, they've used it. I was, it was pretty early that we got the Chromebooks when I started teaching. So it's kind of just become a natural thing that I have implemented in my classroom. But for some teachers, they were teaching for 25 years without any computers. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. And they were doing it. I think you should use the technology, but I think forcing teachers to use technology is how you have teachers that are unhappy in their work. And there's a lot of teachers that are trying to change. Yeah. They're trying to get with the times. And if you have really simple programs that are, you know, user friendly and just can be implemented every day and just a little bit, teachers are more likely to do it. I always try to do, I will add one new program every year. That's kind of my goal, like my personal goals. Like at this point, I have a lot of things in my, you Mm -hmm. know, my box that I use daily or, you know, biweekly, whatever. Um, and every year I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try to do one more, you know, program that I didn't use last year 
that can just add something. One of the really cool ones is called Kahoot. And Kahoot's a website where you go on and you, um, there's like a bunch of different quizzes that are already made and you can make your own. And the kids on their Chromebooks can answer the questions. So it's almost like a game show where a question comes up or a picture comes up and they have to answer the question and it gives them points and it like rates them. So it's like a little bit competitive, but like in a fun way where it's like, you know, you only see like the top five scores. So you're seeing the top five kids and they can like win by points. And it's just a really good and free program that you can use to, you know, test what they know and talk about something. Uh, but yeah, those are the many hats of a teacher every day. In this segment, what are those letters? We wanted to talk about some of the acronyms that are common in teaching. So we've already mentioned, I think, IEP and 504 and um, there's a lot of acronyms and the frustrating thing is that they're not consistent across um, even county to county or sometimes school to school. What we're going to talk about today um, is PD, which stands for professional development. So just like we were talking about in the last segment where teachers wear many hats, one of the other hats that we wear is lifelong learners. Yeah, we are expected to get these points from professional development and you can get it in a lot of different ways. You can go to conferences, you can do things at your school, like be part of a committee and, you know, help with running the building in a way. Um, you can take a class, just like a college class that has to do with education. Um, some things that I like to do to get points is I like to teach at conferences because um, while your school is required to give you opportunities to get these for free, um, there the easiest way to, to get points is things that you have to pay for, like going to a conference. You get a lot of points for conferences. You get a lot of points for taking a college class. And they might give you up to like 200 or $300 toward a college class, no, but that doesn't make difficult. it not $1,000. So one thing I like to do is um, I like to speak at conferences because you get sent to the conference for free, which means that you have an opportunity to get a lot of points. And presenting, you get more points. So, um, and I just, I really enjoy it. Um, I think that training teachers is very fun and because my job is a bit of a niche, it's, you know, there's information that I deal with as a, you know, not only early childhood but also special education teacher that a lot of teachers outside of that field um, would benefit from knowing. So mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy doing it that way. Yeah, I, um, I found that at school you don't have nearly enough opportunities to get the professional yeah. development points that you need. I, when I first got my recertification, so my teaching license recertified, um, I ended up taking two college classes. If you take two college classes, it was done for me. And I did that too because when I first started teaching, I wasn't a teacher the first year. I was a substitute, so I really wasn't getting any of those points that I needed. Uh, and then once I got started, I almost had to just deal with being a first, second, third year teacher. So thinking about the extra stuff that you have to do, that is not during school hours, that is completely extra and you are not paid for, Yep, is was just too much for me. So I ended up having to pay and just take the two college classes, which honestly, I like taking classes. I learned some things. It was definitely tedious and a lot and, you know, but I, I did learn some things, which was important. I would say conferences are probably the best way because they're usually not very expensive and you can get a good amount of points doing them. Um... I like to, how I've gotten a lot of points in the past years, my school does something called a book club, 
where we read a book that has to do with lots of different topics. It could be behavior management. It could be literacy. And you read the book and then you meet once a week and you talk about the book. And yes, that's extra time, but I was able to read the book, you know, at the very end of my school day or at home. So I feel like I was able to learn something. And then also it built up community in, within my school. I was working with my, you know, peers and we were able to talk about things and kind of also see things from different levels of teaching. So like there was a kindergarten teacher in there and a fifth grade teacher and the art teacher and one of the guidance counselors and the principal. So I feel like kind of being a being in a room with everyone that is doing different things in the building is also really important. The perspective I got is totally different than what I deal with on a day-to-day basis as being a third grade teacher. So I feel like it is good to be part of these committees and these clubs that your school goes puts on just to get like more of an idea of like what is your school environment. But yeah, I mean, PD is very, very doable. I think it's a lot extra, but they try their best to make it manageable. So that's, that's PD, professional development. We have a special guest with us today. This is Dottie, and she is an ESL um, English, oh my God, English, second language, English is a second language. Okay, I'm going to start over. (laughs) (laughs) We have a special guest t- with us today. This is Dottie, who is an ESL, which is English as a Second Language teacher, um, who I have the pleasure of working with at my school. Um, we also do Nature Buddies, which is a club for outdoors and nature-based learning, kind of. Um, and she's someone who definitely wears a lot of hats at our school. And I'd love for her to just talk about that a little bit. Hi, Dottie. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at our school, uh, we have a lot of different languages that the families speak, so contacting families and keeping up with um, how diverse we are, which is the fun part. Yeah, our know? school's amazing for that. Yeah, and just um, giving information to other teachers also about uh, having new students from other countries and um, the trauma that they go they may have gone through and... Um, so I guess the hats that I wear are teacher to student and then teacher to teacher and then teacher to parent and mm-hmm. then um, then it's all coming back at me too <laughs> from mm-hmm. all those directions because teachers um, do have a lot of questions about how they can help the kids. Mm-hmm. And then there's the counselor part Yes, where we're always there to lend an ear to a student who needs to talk. Yeah, we, um, we talked a little bit about how we feel like life coaches. Um, we're trying to constantly inspire our kids. And for yeah. you, I think there is more of a counseling component to it because you have kids who are coming into school from a sort of a vulnerable position, um, mm-hmm. whether it's what they've gone through or just having not having as much of a grasp on the language. Uh-huh. And, and not having some background information that other kids have. Mm-hmm. Um, just the building up of language sometimes is not there mm-hmm. um, from the home. Um, so our first question is, what made you want to be a teacher? Um, that could be a long story or a short story. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> we can always edit it if it gets too long. Okay. <laughs> we'll cut you off. <laughs> um, well, I always wanted to be a history teacher. 
because I love history. And what else can you do when you study history <laughs> besides write? Mm -hmm. or, um, anyway, there are some other things, but um, being a history teacher um, was, it seemed fascinating to me, I guess because of my history teachers that I had too, that seemed like they were very passionate and energetic mm -hmm. about what they were sharing with us. But um, then this um, advisor at George Mason said, I can get you a free master's if you, pro <laughs> if you prove that you can speak Spanish. And I had taken some Spanish uh -huh. classes and traveled in Central America. So I passed the test and I got my ESL master's. That's so funny. I have a similar kind of entrance really into how I got into early childhood special ed is be, you know they said well you know there's a free master's program if you go this direction I'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> it's like I want a master's degree and this sounds good so, uh -huh. either way yeah. it, was, it would be interesting mm -hmm. I would have done early childhood too yeah well that's uh. that's awesome so did you teach when you were traveling abroad yes uh third grade in a bilingual school in, and where in was Taylor. that Taylor Honduras. Oh, cool. On a beach. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was my first teaching experience ever. Besides adults, I taught ESL to adults. Mm -hmm. So who was your favorite teacher when you were growing up or in college? Ah, I like that question. In college, Dr. Greer. He taught Latin American history, and he's probably the one who got me hooked on the idea of traveling to Central America and learning mm -hmm. about that culture and that language and um, the food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he And he would just get so excited about what he was teaching. And a lot of it was kind of sad or, you know, un um, horrible history that we had with Central America mm -hmm. and he would squinch up his face and be like, and we did this <laughs> in <laughs> Guatemala. Why? And <laughs> why? <laughs> and I don't know. He, he was a great storyteller and we read very interesting books and I took every class he taught. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how do you relax and keep sane? Ah. Lots of walking and yoga, um, deep breaths. I guess just reminding myself that it it really doesn't matter if I don't meet a deadline for mm -hmm. the county, you know, because what really matters is um, making sure I have a good day planned for the kids. Yeah. Or, or that their experiences or are good or comfortable. Or and it's I, I found that working with kids who have gone through some trauma, it's really hard to not bring that home. And yeah. we need especially, like we need a lot of self-care to get through that. And, you know, there's, there's always this thought at the back of my mind when I worked with a kid who's gone through something really hard mm -hmm. of you know, I get to go home and I get to take a walk and do yoga and they don't. And then I feel almost, you know, like yeah, guilty almost guilty. And it's something that I had to work through in my first couple of years working with 
more vulnerable populations. Uh-huh. Um, but I've I've gotten better at separating, you know, work and school. But it is so hard to not think about them when you're trying to relax. Yeah. And get away from the feelings that you feel when someone that you care so much about could be being abused. Right. So. Okay, what is something that you deal with as a teacher that other people in other professions would never deal with? Um, or experience? Children urinating in their pants? <laughs> <laughs> and yep. not telling anybody until their parents find out at the end of the day? That yeah. just happened Friday. That was <laughs> Like, how did you go all day long without telling anybody? Yeah. But still, fixing that is fun. Or helping, maybe. Yeah. Helping the parents get to the bottom of that. Um, holding back tears, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't think many accountants have to do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, gosh, I wish their books were better. Yeah. No. no. Just, yeah, being in front of kids and being like, oh, like losing Mrs. Hunt this year, mm. having to keep uh, keep it together, strong, um, compose, composure. Well, that was hard. Yeah, it's been a hard year at our yeah. school. Um, well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Well, thank you for asking me because... It's an exciting job, and it's fun to... Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Talk about. And yeah. we usually <laughs> just talk with each other about it because we think we're going to wear everybody down with our teacher talk. Yeah. But, um, yeah, thank you so much. And I, we will have you back on the program to talk a bit more about ESL, I'm sure, at some point. Okay. Yeah. That'd be great. I'd be happy to do that. Great. Thank you. Yeah.